Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry, but today we are looking to another industry for inspiration. Coming up, we're bringing you another of our talks from our digital journalism conference, News Rewired, this week. We'll be hearing from Jacob Eastham and Nissa Strotvate of the CIA. Yes, you heard that correctly, the US Central Intelligence Agency. Jacob and Nissa are creative thinking instructors and will be sharing four of the CIA's secrets to problem solving. Just to be clear, they work in the analysis department, which means their job is to understand complex problems facing the United States and transfer that knowledge to policymakers. This might sound familiar to many journalists and editors, looking at problems facing the newsroom, coming up with solutions to feed up to their bosses and putting those plans into action. What agents are taught, however, is creative thinking techniques. You aren't so much relying on your own intelligence or your own biases, but you're using techniques to create more options for yourself that you might have never thought of. In short, we'll be finding out how to question assumptions, find new perspectives, and develop new ideas when approaching issues. You won't want to miss this one. All of that's coming up after this. As well as great editorial content, journalism.co.uk brings you the latest jobs and opportunities from around the media industry. Our job of the week is a lifestyle reporter position for NewsQuest Media Group. For this position and all the rest on our jobs board, head on over to www.journalism.co.uk forward slash jobs. We're faced with complex, ambiguous, yet very important problems that often make us feel like we're putting a puzzle together with some of the puzzle pieces missing. And there's some puzzle pieces hanging out on the table that belong to a totally different puzzle. That's Jacob Eastham, one of our CIA creative thinking instructors. This feeling might be all too familiar to some of you. Your newsroom is facing issues you don't feel like you have all the tools to address, or the tools you do have aren't really the right tools for the job. In this episode, I invite you to think about the real problems facing your newsroom and use the CIA's techniques to reframe the issue. And in 2016, the World Economic Forum predicted that the top three job skills in this decade were going to be critical thinking, complex problem solving, and creativity. And even with artificial intelligence doing creative acts, you still need the human hand to evaluate whether it's valuable. And that's Nissa Strotvate, our other CIA creative thinking instructor. She was explaining how the CIA had to develop their own creative thinking techniques because its own 9-11 commission report stated there was a lack of imagination within its various intelligence communities. It even recommended formalising certain problem-solving processes. And we can all relate to this. In any industry with difficult-to-solve issues, it can be easy to keep choosing the same path because it's simpler or because no other options seem apparent. Think about some of the biggest issues facing newsrooms. Revenue, diversity, trust towards the media. How easy is it to keep plugging away with the same strategy in the hope it will eventually work? But maybe the perfect solution hasn't even crossed our minds. That's where the CIA has spent a lot of energy thinking about divergent and convergent thinking. First, we start with a question, and we have divergent thinking. In divergence, we are creating choices. Then we move to convergent thinking. In convergent thinking, we are making choices. 
we spend a lot of our energy in convergence and we wanted to help our colleagues be able to spend more time in divergence. It's natural to, and normal to spend more time in convergence, but it's not always ideal when it comes to problem solving. Creativity happens when our brains are in divergent thinking. The biggest inhibitor to divergent thinking is stress. Analysts are under a lot of pressure to answer tasks and support policymakers, and they are saddled with stress every day, so it makes it very difficult for their brains to think creatively. You can think of it like a lizard. When it's faced with a predator, it's stress. It does one of three things. It flies, freezes, or fights. But in intelligence analysis, and probably in your problems too, we don't necessarily want that lizard or reptilian brain coming into play. We want to be able to thoughtfully consider a problem, both critically and creatively. In our jobs, we're able to explore a broader range of actors, factors, outcomes, et cetera, which makes us more credible with policymakers. We actually work to help our colleagues increase their creative thinking by encouraging them to resist the urge to converge. Um, and then we want them to linger a little bit longer in that divergent space. Convergent thinking is a comfort zone, the status quo. It is important for rapid decision making, but when we decide to always take the easy path for a difficult issue, we're letting the reptile make the decision. In reality, we need a wider perspective. Divergent thinking is much harder to do. It requires more brain power and focus. Hanging out in divergent space, though, is pretty hard. It's not the default mode for anyone. And this is probably true for you. Many people's creativity is hiding undercover. <laughs> Consider this fact that we all have cognitive barriers that naturally lead us more to the convergent side of our thinking. We all have a framing bias. We all have an affinity for our comfort zone. We all have a preference for logic. And we all love the status quo. When you add the constraints of stressful deadlines and routine work, creativity quickly becomes a cognitive luxury and stays undercover. What determines how long we stay in this mode of thinking depends hugely on the question we're asked. What we explore next might seem like semantics to begin with, but in fact it gives us the freedom to think about new possibilities. So we've developed a menagerie of secret agents to help unlock uh, our creative potential, and they are the wombat, the wolf, the wood duck, and the otter. And these are the same techniques that we use in-house with our CIA officers, and we want to reveal their secrets to you. Let's start with the wombat then. It's an acronym for what might be all the... The point is to use invitational language to reframe the question. Many problem-based questions start with the word how. How do we increase diversity of staff? How do we increase revenue? Dump how, add a plural noun, and the wombat after it. For example, what might be all the ways we can increase diversity? What might be all the methods to earn revenue? Nothing is then out of the question, Everything is a valid suggestion. This expands the range of possible solutions beyond the obvious things like hiring new staff or launching a diversity scheme. You might look into promoting and empowering your existing staff, work more closely with your readers, create a blog or a forum for diverse voices. The possibilities are endless. When we are asked a question, the words give our brain a frame within which to operate. 
The plural word gives our brain a signal to kick into brainstorming gear. It's basically like saying, I'm gonna need more than one right answer here. And remember, this is not a natural state for our brains to be in, and our brains have been trained over the course of our education to search for that one right answer that's gonna get us an A on the test. Um, or we might wanna move to expanding our language and say something like, what might be all the people we need to do our work better? Or what might be all the small tweaks we need to do our work better? Playing with the words, this is where a thesaurus can be your friend, can both change the scope of the question and spur different answers. If you want to get creative answers, we have to ask creative questions and utilize the power of that invitational question. This really is a simple trick, but it's amazing how a small language tweak can really take our thinking into new territories. And so we move on to animal number two, the wolf. It's inspired by the French expression for twilight, entre chien et loup. It literally means between the dog and wolf. The dog represents daytime and the wolf nighttime. In our scenario, the dog is our comfort zone and the norm, while the wolf represents a fear of risk or the unknown. So we typically like to live with the dog in our comfort zones, our specialties and our domains. The wolf, however, invites us to consider what else might be out there. What else is in the world that can help us better understand our problems? As the wolf, we want to step out of our comfort zones, release our egos, get out of the box, be explorers. You might actually say that we want you to be hungry like the wolf. I make him say all those. So for example, in 2014, when Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 crashed, we recognized that there were several big single focus questions that we needed answers to. For example, was it a missile? If it was a missile, where did it come from? If it wasn't military action, what else might have caused the crash? And also, is it intentional or was it an accident? We very quickly outlined the tasks that needed to be accomplished under each of those questions and soon recognized that we did not have all of the expertise to go forward with this. So we called on the expertise across several different intelligence community organizations. And in the end, we relied on these partners to provide us with key data to resolve the majority of our intelligence questions. We moved outside of our dog comfort zone and embraced the wolf by fully being fully able to assess the situation that we were facing. So when it comes to the issues the media industry is facing, who else can we turn to for possible solutions or inspiration? You could look within your own company and other departments, within the wider media community and other organisations, or even expand your search to other industries which have come up with new approaches to shared or common problems like revenue, diversity and trust. Additionally, we've also explored collaboration across the greater government, not just within the intelligence community. So for example, according to the National Breast Cancer Foundation, one in eight women will develop breast cancer. And the most effective early detection device is a mammogram. Some of you may be familiar with mammograms. They're the large high resolution imagery, which shows small indications of breast cancer, which are subtle and can easily be overlooked. And in 1994, Dr. Susan Blumenthal of Health and Human Services suggested that we collaborate with Health and Human Services to share an algorithm that we have that can identify new missile sites. So it's used on aerial imagery and it can identify new construction or roads. By applying these algorithms to the mammogram, we were able to identify breast cancer in earlier stages and actually reduce the number of deaths due to breast cancer. So in an effort to diverge a bit further and really challenge our typical understanding, CI analysts have collaborated with 
science fiction writers to look at storytelling best practices and how to craft our scenarios. We've worked with art historians to hone our perception skills and how we prioritize information. And we've even collaborated with magicians to explore the cognitive biases that might be at play within our problems and ourselves. Stretching ourselves with these collaborations really give us the cross-fertilization of ideas that might not naturally occur in a bureaucratic and secret environment. Collaboration is a nice thought, and you might be thinking it's easier said than done. So here's a technique to help embed it into your newsroom called Alternative Worlds. So in this exercise, we ask our colleagues, what can I learn or borrow from a different occupation to help with my problem? Maybe a fashion designer, a winemaker, a brewer, commercial fisherman, who knows? Um, so we recommend keeping a list handy so you don't have to waste your creative energy in generating the list. And then when you need that creative push, consult that list and see how a different occupation might think about your problem. And the more that you do this, the more that you practice, the easier it will come to you. Another way to get out of dog territory and into wolf thinking outside your box is to ask, how can I move my thinking beyond my normal routine? Visiting a new museum, sculpting your ideal end state, buying a magazine that you would normally ignore, or exploring a new neighborhood in your city or town. Okay, animal three, the wood duck. This is about using analogies, metaphors, and associative thinking. It comes from an example where an agent attended one of Jacob and Nissa's sessions to try and get a breakthrough in his current mission to find a suspected terrorist. That breakthrough came through associative thinking. He encountered a rare wood duck, which nests and migrates much differently to your normal duck. He began to frame his current mission with this new perspective, that maybe the person he was looking for was like a wood duck, and what strategies might help to find someone like that. I, for one, am a sucker for expressions. The lesson here is to find an expression in which to reframe your issue. This simplifies the problem and also lowers the bar for others to contribute ideas. So we have adopted the wood duck as our reminder that inspiration really is everywhere. Metaphors, similes, and analogies are powerful thinking tools. But this type of thinking can be particularly hard if you're not used to it, especially because we are wired for logic. When someone asks you to describe a problem, I'm pretty sure you don't jump into an elaborate metaphor, and that's natural. We're usually zooming full tilt towards that convergent answer. But sometimes we need to take that divergent detour to get us to another solution or different mental construct. Analogical thinking and metaphors will take us into that new territory. We really like to use this purposeful analogical wood duck thinking a lot in our analytical work. So notably, some of our analysts were imagining future scenarios for the evolution of automation. And to do this, they dreamed them up as movie plots and movie posters. This type of thinking really helped the analysts, who were each a deep expert in one particular aspect of the topic, to think beyond their area of specialty and take an integrative and holistic look at the problem and how it can unfold over time. And also, when they pitched the scenarios to colleagues and senior managers, they opened by saying, this is sort of like that war movie you've seen before, or this is like a melodrama. And that helped move listeners quickly toward the concept. In a different vein, another team of analysts looking at counterterrorism has asked, how is terrorism akin to a societal disease? And we were doing this pre-COVID. 
the analytic team's structured analogy allowed them to assemble pretty one of the most diverse sets of expertise in understanding terrorism. It also forced them to take a public health perspective. So it generated questions like, how might we learn with those with immunities? And then words like contagiousness, control group, and societal antibodies crept into the discussions and allowed the analysts to escape their current paradigms and explore new thought territories. We brought life science professionals to a conversation about terrorism. And these are people who terrorism analysts don't normally talk to. Wolf techniques to get us to a wood duck place. So reframe the problem you're experiencing using metaphors and similes. This does not necessarily mean contriving to popular expressions like, is the problem with growing your newsletter that you can bring a horse to water but can't make them drink? What you're trying to do is be open to the inspiration that is always around us. And it is possible to induce that sort of awareness. So in our workshops, we push colleagues even further and give them new inspirational fodder. We bring them to a local art museum and we ask them to study the art, learn as much as they possibly can about the piece of art, and then we ask them to reframe their analytical problems by making connections with that piece of art. So we call it the art of association. Excuse the pun, but it's a good technique. Go and actively source inspiration. Don't just wait for it to turn up. Here's some more examples. Then there's this horse sculpture. It's by Deborah Butterfield, and it's actually a very interesting piece because it looks to be made of driftwood, but it's actually made of solid bronze. So the illusion of this art piece inspired one of our political analysts to rethink the validity of one of her sources. What she thought was driftwood information, maybe it was actually bronze information. So she returned to her office, reevaluated her conclusion, and she considered how much she based her analysis on the driftwood information. These are definitely small changes, I know, but these small shifts in our thinking can actually lead to further breakthroughs down the line. So short of taking your team to art museums, what else can be done? This one's particularly fun and will definitely take you into uncharted territory. We call it metaphorical Mad Libs. Here's a list of some of our favorite questions to prime analogical thinking. So to use this is first step one, finish these statements for yourself or ask a friend or a teammate for their thoughts. I've filled in mine for you. So an activity I regularly do on the weekend is visiting the zoo and riding the carousel with my toddler, uh, with my free time, a hobby or avocation I enjoy, is watching reality competition television shows. And one of my favorite works of art is Renee Magritte's The Treachery of Images. We also use this tool in our workshops. We've had a surprising number of national security problems related to scenes from Top Gun and a lot related to the plot lines from Harry Potter. Uh, this is a fun one and takes our brain into, into new territory. So with those answers in place, it's time to make metaphorical magic. These questions were really just a sneaky brainstorm to develop lots of different domains for our analogy. So now once you have them in front of you, you ask yourself, how is my problem like one of my answers? Take a moment to think, how is the problem I'm experiencing like my regular weekend activities, my favourite film, or a memorable work of art? I'm a big Marvel fan. I've got no problem admitting that. A hypothetical problem might be, how do we recruit more diverse talent? 
Well, for starters, let's change that to what might be all the ways we can recruit more diverse talents. And now let's think, how does Nick Fury enlist all the very different, unique and powerful members of the Avengers? He certainly doesn't look within his own organisation. He effectively headhunts them. Not all of whom are fighters, by the way. The Avengers are a mixed bag of billionaires, spies, scientists, mythical gods, teenagers and wartime soldiers. When Fury meets them, he identifies a shared and larger problem and he reasons that together they can form a bigger solution. So maybe you're looking for diversity in the wrong places. Maybe you need to provide other pathways into your organisation and not worry if the qualifications and experience do not match the status quo. If you haven't noticed already, a lot of things in Nissa and I's teachings come back to animals. Uh, the animal world is really ripe for analogy. How is your favorite animal like your problem? You never know where inspiration is going to strike. Because who would have thought that a wood duck would inspire CIA analysis? And last but not least, there's the otter, inspired by Kevin the otter, another DC zoo animal who was allowed to be named by the public. Kevin represents breaking the pattern, because all the other otters in the zoo were named by a local supermarket and had food-related names like peaches, olives and onions. And then there was Kevin, the odd one out. As humans, we are pattern-making machines. We have a strong desire to always find order in chaos. Because of that, we can really get stuck in our own patterns. It's easy to get stuck in the status quo. So just like Kevin broke the grocery store out of their standard naming structure, we need to spark this pattern breaking in our own thinking so that we can see other alternatives. And don't get us wrong, patterns are very important in everyday life. Yeah. Patterns actually allow us to offload small decisions to free our brain power to tackle the really heavy lifting of the problems that actually need creativity. They even allow us to train our brains to start thinking creatively. Think of your commute, probably pre-COVID, but as you commuted, you probably didn't deviate from your commute to work every single day. And the majority of us are like that. And a majority of the time, it works. But what if there's a detour? What if there's a public transportation strike? What happens then? And actually, in 2014, the London Tube did strike, and there were three researchers who actually watched commuter behavior three days before, during the strike, and then three days after. And those researchers found that about 5% of the time, people had not optimized their commute. If you've ever looked at the London Tube map, you know that it's not to scale, and sometimes there are faster ways of getting around. But if you don't look at all of the options, you may never realize that you've settled into the first right answer as opposed to the best right answer. And we want you to consider more alternatives for yourself when you're looking at these problems. I think this will hit the nail on the head for a lot of us. The way we work is not always optimised. Often we work a certain way just because it works. It's easier to stick with the status quo. It's harder to consider an alternative way to work. What if there's a way to deliberately spot these patterns and call them out? We actually have a whole team of pattern-breaking otters in the Directorate of Analysis called the Red Cell. So it's an independent analytic unit, and it produces intelligence reports that challenge key assumptions and really stretch thinking. In short, they hunt strategic surprises. The Red Cell was formed in the days after the 9-11 attack, and our then-director George Tenet issued a mandate saying, tell me things that other people aren't telling me and will make senior analysts uncomfortable. 
he and others in the directorate worked really fast to establish a cell that would produce alternative terrorism analysis filled with officers chosen for their ability to think in creative and contrarian ways. Early on, the cell was bolstered by a few uh, key tenets. First, there was no topic ownership. There were no stovepipes. Everyone was allowed to work on everything. The office was intimate in that there was no cube walls. There were no partitions. Everyone was able to chat with one another. They ran regular collective ideation sessions that they called chin wags. And perhaps most importantly, they had support from the senior ranks. And when we think about the importance of question asking, the red cell is given leeway and play space to ask questions like, what might be all the things that will never happen? What might be people thinking, but they're unwilling to say? And how might ideas and views on the fringe become new realities? There's really a voracious appetite for alternative analysis created by the red cell. Their products rank as some of our most popular amongst our readership. And the ultimate complement to challenging the status quo, sometimes the red cell's alternative analysis has been adopted by others in their mainline thinking. I absolutely love this idea that there is one elected person in a meeting or in a newsroom who has a free pass to call out patterns which don't make sense or aren't efficient. They're devil's advocates, in which everyone understands that person is there to challenge the status quo. That means no snide comments, no eye rolls, no attempt to undermine what that person is observing. That person is empowered and protected to break patterns. Internally, we use something called the status quo brainstorm. During the exercise, we use a typical brainstorm, but in this brainstorm, we're not coming up with novel ideas. We're using it to generate all the existing norms, standards, customs, and assumptions. So what we normally do is build a bridge, or everybody knows that barrels hold whiskey and wine, or even it's plain to see that we don't have a lot of time. Once we've brainstormed these aspects of normal and really made them explicit, now we flip it. And here's the part that's gonna reveal our creative capabilities. We ask ourselves, how do we make this untrue? Or what would we do if it was untrue? So for example, everybody knows that barrels hold whiskey and wine. This is very normal, right? This is very no dub. If that was untrue, what might be all the other functions that the barrel could serve? Let's give that a go for a moment. What is universally and unquestionably true in your newsroom? How about at the top of our homepage is our top story news article? No duh. What else would go there? Well, what if that were not true? What else could we be putting at the very top? Story idea submission forms? Important corrections? A statement on how you are funded or backed? Or even your latest job openings? Allow yourself to think of the endless possibilities outside of the norm. No doubt you have some assumptions and patterns that are ripe for challenging in your own work. And those are our four creativity tools. We've applied the wombat, the wolf, the wood duck, and the otter to our mission. This was a hugely interesting talk and thanks very much to Jacob Eastham and Nissa Strofate from the CIA for speaking at Newswide. Much to take away from this one. Be like the wombat, Ask the question, what might be all the, instead of how? Be like the wolf, collaborate and find a new perspective on your issue. 
Be like the wood duck, embrace analogies and expressions to describe a problem, and be like the otter, identify and break habits. These four techniques help you overcome problems and challenges by opening your mind to new perspectives and free you from the shackles of your own worldview and workflow. If you like what you heard, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.